So if you've missed out on the last number of services, uh, we've been in the series heading, building up till Christmas, walking through the Old Testament. Uh, and this morning, we have the great privilege and honor of uh, having Pastor Reverend Aaron Party here this morning. Um, some of you may remember, last summer, back in July, he brought a team of youth, and the youth shared their testimonies, and it was really encouraging. Since then, Aaron has moved from youth pastor to lead pastor of First Assembly, and he was down speaking to some youths down in Estevan, and we think we've got him rested up. That was a bit of an extreme couple days. Uh, but yeah, just uh, give a warm welcome to Pastor Aaron as he comes and shares the word with us. Let's just get this out of the way first. This is definitely a Matt Redstone height table. <laughs> um, my goodness. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing this morning? Terrible. You're just as loud as my church. <laughs> oh, my God. Tay, was that funny? Oh, my. Well, good morning, everybody. Thanks so much for having us today. Um, you might see a couple other hooligans with me as well. Um, this is Caleb. Caleb, wave your hand nicely. Okay. And this is Tyson. They were actually on the missions trip with us a couple summers back. And uh, they have actually been uh, interning um, or at our church for the past uh, eight months, six months, give or take. Um, so in our season of transition, I was kind of doing both lead pastor stuff and youth stuff. So it's kind of been a little bit crazy. So the boys have been so gracious to kind of help us out over the last little bit. And it's been fun kind of taking them on a little bit of a ministry trip with me this past week. Um, <coughs> well... First of all, thank you for having us. Um, we love Carlisle. Um, this is trip number, I think, three for me. Um, I've been here during COVID, like in the intense part of COVID. Um, we were here um, for that missions trip, and now we are back again. And so uh, and we'll be back more regularly as well, I'm sure. Um, well, yes. Um, I'm not with my better half. My wife, Emily, uh, is back home. She is a nurse on the pediatrics floor um, in... Um, in Medicine Hat, and so she is unable to be with us. Um, she's very nice, and you guys would like her a lot better than you would like me. Um, <coughs> and then, of course, um, we don't have any kids or anything like that yet. Um, pray for me, please. Um, but we do have a little character of a lab. Um, his name is Goose, um, after Goose Bay, Labrador. And <laughs> here we go. We're alive and well this morning, church. Amen. Here we go. Um, Funny enough about this picture, um, we were taking this picture to be a gag for one of my board members, um, and like I didn't really realize what was going on in the picture, and I just took the picture, and like hours later, I looked back and I was like, "He's eating the ice cream. <laughs> like, what is he doing?" <laughs> so this is the character of Goose, and uh, <coughs> just uh, thanks so much again for having us this morning. Um, as Matt said, I'm on this recent journey myself of being a, uh, a lead pastor as well. Um, it's been since July since I've kind of taken over, <coughs> and uh, it's been a great joy. I love our family back at first, and so honored that they let us kind of take a, a Sunday away to be here with y'all. Um, and just really quick, I love doing this whenever I get the opportunity to speak at another church or anything like that, but I just want to honor your guys' pastors as well. Um, you guys might not know this, um, because church world's a, an interesting place to be. Um, for those who serve in leadership, you might get a little bit of a snippet, but um, as pastors, they, they carry a lot of weight, and you might see them as only being here on Sunday or whatever else, but in reality, um, these guys are putting in a lot of time and a lot of effort 
um, to see Jesus not just be in your guys' lives, but also in the lives of your community as well. And just even kind of seeing the different ministry things that they have conjured up um, in order to see the community be impacted by Jesus, even in a community like this, in this size, uh, is absolutely incredible. And I think it speaks a lot to them of saying, hey, doesn't matter the size of the community, doesn't matter how many people love Jesus or not, we're going to continue to fight for whoever doesn't know Jesus. So honor Pastor Matt and Michelle. Can we just give them a big round of applause really quick? Um, if it's all right with you guys, um, I'm, gonna, I'm a bit of an old school guy. Can we stand as we read the Word of God this morning, if that's all right? Uh, we stand for the national anthem, so at la- least we should do is stand for, stand for the Word of God. Amen. Um, we're going to be reading from Second uh, Chronicles 7, 1 to 15 this morning. And so feel free to just trace along with me here. Does this work, Matt? Oh, it's working. Look at that. Last time I was here, nothing worked. <coughs> Matt loves to tell me, as you guys know, he's the techie guy and all this stuff. Oh, pastor, you need to do this and that. I'm like, bro, I showed up once and your stuff didn't work. So we still joke about that. Anyways, let's read. Um, When Solomon finished praying, fire descended from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Oh, okay, that, no, never mind. We're moving. (laughs) The priests were not able to enter the Lord's temple because the glory of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord. All the Israelites were watching when the fire descended and the glory of the Lord came on the temple. They bowed down on the pavement uh, with their faces to the ground. They worship and praise the Lord for he is good for his faithful love endures forever. The king and all the, and all the people were offering sacrifices in the Lord's presence. King Solomon offered a sacrifice. Check this out. 22,000 cattle. Dang. And 120,000 sheep and goats. Anybody got that here in Carlisle at all? (laughs) In this manner, the king and all the people dedicated God's (coughs) temple. The priests and the Levites were standing at their stations, and the the Levites had the musical instruments of the Lord, which King David had made to give thanks to the Lord. For his faithful love endures forever when he offered praise to them. Across from them, the Levites, the priests were blowing trumpets, and all the people were standing. (coughs) Since the bronze altar that Solomon had made could not accommodate the burnt offering, shocker there, hey, the grain offering and the fat of the fellowship offering, Solomon first consecrated the middle of the courtyard that was in front of the Lord's temple and then offered the burnt offerings and the fat of the fellowship offerings there. Talk about a blaze. So Solomon and all of Israel with him were a very great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt observed the festival at at that time for seven days. On the eighth day, they held a solemn assembly for the dedication of the altar lasted seven days and the festival seven days. On the the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people home rejoicing and with happy hearts for the goodness of the Lord had done for David, for Solomon and for his people Israel. (coughs) So Solomon finished the Lord's temple and the royal place palace. Everything that had entered Solomon's heart uh, to do for the Lord's temple and his own palace succeeded. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and he said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice. (coughs) If I shut the sky so there is no rain or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land or if I send pestilence on my people and my people who bear my 
familiar passage for most of us. And my people who bear my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. My, peop- my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer from this place. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We pray, Jesus, that it would be edifying to our hearts, edifying to our souls as we navigate this crazy thing called life. And uh, Lord, we give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, you guys can grab a seat this morning. <coughs> um, before, before we get into the parallels of, uh, of how we're going to try to take this passage of Scripture and relate it to a series that you guys find yourselves in this morning, I just kind of want to take us through the, a little bit of a, 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 some nerdy stuff this morning, if that's all right. Everybody okay with that? a little bit? Okay. Um, so Second Chronicles is part two of the original letter. So we have First and Second Chronicles. Um, and that was written as actually one piece of literature with one storyline in mind, but actually split in two parts due to scroll length. Scrolls were only so long, so they could only write so much on that. So in our English Bible, Chronicles comes after First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. And if you're reading this in order, you might actually see a lot of parallels between both Chronicles, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Samuel. However, in, in the traditional Jewish order of Scripture, Chronicles is actually the last book of the Old Testament. And it's written by someone who is significantly further down the line, following the exile and just a few hundred years before Jesus. Chronicles, in its function, acts as an overview of the Old Testament, but also as a preparation, last call to the people of Israel as their story wraps up. So using the story of the Old Testament, the author pinpoints two key ideas as God's kind of last words. The beginning of 1 Chronicles, chapters 1 to 9, deals, goes into great detail about the family trees, particularly the line from Judah, whom David comes from, and the line of Aaron, who would serve as the priests for the temple. The mentioned family lines help us understand these two key main themes that the author of Chronicles is trying to establish to the people. First of all, the coming Messiah and the new temple. As we get in chapter 10 to 29 of 1 Chronicles, the author uses David as a prototype for the messianic king. Now, if you, if you read it, this is where you see a lot of parallels between 1 and 2 Kings and all these things and, and 1 and 2 Samuel. But n- you'll find something really interesting here. All they make mention of is the good parts of David. They don't make mention of David cheating on his wife. They don't make mention of the times when David fell and stumbled. Um, they don't make any mention of these things. Just purposely out of the fact that the author is trying to sh- use all the positives of David to show what the coming Messiah is going to be like. Second Chronicles, the author refers to, uh, refers to the king of Israel from the line of David. And, and for the kings following David, they were unfaithful to God and disobedient. And he highlights those who were obedient and those who were not and describes the consequences they suffered for their unfaithfulness. So uh, I love context, and I think it helps us understand a little bit more of what's at play here. And, and for some of us this morning, we might wonder, why, why do we need to understand the, t- the context of this? First of all, it, it, it's this. It gives us a deeper meaning to the words we are reading. This morning, as we're looking at First and Second Chronicles, we're not just looking at it as some 
story within the Old Testament. We're seeing this as God's particular last words to the people of Israel. And so sometimes you might hear a series or you might hear a sermon on, you know, the last words Jesus said on the cross. Something along those lines. And this is to kind of be taken in that same type of vein. Like the amount of weight and gravity that we put on those types of words are the same type of weight and we need to kind of put on these words this morning as well. And also, it validates the answers for our questions. You know, oftentimes in Second Chronicles, it, it, we see a lot of failure, and we see a lot of kings who had gone, be, who had gone before the people of Israel, and just, again, as, as your guys' little video made mention, the people corrupted the kings, right? Totally ruined the plan of God and what he had in store. But what we actually see here is a good example of how the author uses Solomon as someone to actually model your life after in some regard, particularly as we're going to learn this morning of how to pray and prepare for silence. So over the last number of weeks, you guys have been kind of doing this series called Before Christmas and trying to discover Jesus and then particularly the need for Jesus throughout the story of the Old Testament. And even last week, kind of looking at the exile, looking at like... Um, the need for Jesus even in that story. And so this morning, we're in a unique spot as we actually conclude the Old Testament story. And, and where do we find Jesus here? And that's frankly our objective, is, is to discover the need for Jesus within the text. And I believe every single thing in the Old Testament, even though there might not be, like Jesus' name not necessarily mentioned in e each and every single line, or you might not see the red lettering or anything like that, the thing, the fact of the matter is, is we see Jesus and the, and the future coming of Jesus so often in this Old Testament text so frequently. And so over, over the last number of weeks, um, y'all have been working through this Old Testament. And, and I think what's been interesting is as we look through, we see drastic signs, miracles, and wonders. Um, but today as we include the Old Testament story, um, there's a bit of a gap that follows after First and Second Chronicles. The, the time and space between Old Testament and New Testament is not like our physical Bible where we simply just flip the page, it's one day to the next. It, it's not that quick. In, in fact, there's actually a gap where some assume that there's about this period of time of like roughly 400 years between what's being finished in Second Chronicles and what we, where we pick up in the New Testament. And so during these 400 years, it, it's quite a, like a juxtaposition to what we would find seeing in the Old Testament. Even as we're reading here in this story, we see an example of like signs, miracles, and wonders that are taking place, but, and, and God speaking and doing whatever else, but these 400 years that we refer to as the Apocrypha, it's, it's, it's really quiet. God is not up to much. And compared to what he had been doing in, in, in the days previous, maybe the people of Israel are in this place where it's like, hey, like, what, what's going on? What have we missed? Perhaps the storyline here is, is we are like the people of Israel. Maybe for some of us we've encountered Jesus or, or we've heard of crazy stories of how God has impacted our lives and, and we're per, kind of perplexed at the silence or lack of wonder. Anybody else there by chance? We've encountered him before time and time again. He's done some crazy things like burning up offerings in the parking lot here in Car Carlisle, which I'm sure is really interesting. But all that to be said, now things seem to be quiet. And so 
maybe as we're reading the story, we, we don't necessarily see Jesus, but we see the promise that's going to come because the answer is Jesus. And the thing that we're supposed to see in the midst of all this is patience. He is coming. He is going to come for us. He is going to bring us hope. He is going to bring us life. All we need to do is be patient. This morning, I want to take some time to actually look at the words of Scripture to see how God prepares his people for this time of silence. So that we, for some of us who may feel like we're in a time of silence, who may feel like we're in this place of navigating him not doing a lot, what, what are some practical steps that we can take from that, um, from this story, to help us navigate and be patient for when he does speak and when he does show up? At the end of the day, this is all about prayer. And it's all about just because you might not hear doesn't limit you from actually trying to press in and trying to break walls, trying to break chains and trying to do whatever we can to see Jesus rule and reign. This is kind of, th this for me really highlights, I think, our desire as, as followers of Jesus. Um, try to be as cool as Pastor Matt here. No. Um, so when Solomon finished praying, and I find this so interesting, when he finished praying, fire descended from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So there's two very distinct pieces here. First of all, we see when he finished praying. And then in the blue part here, we see what was a result of him praying. And we might look at this and be like, okay, fire descended from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. We might take that very literally in today's context. But what I think this is what we can kind of take a little bit of a license with here is that there's signs, miracles, and wonders that follow after we pray. Like, there's something crazy going on when we pray. After Solomon finished praying, signs, miracles, and wonders occurred. Now, we could put this to the test and grab a couple goats and sheep and cow and, like, you know, fill up the parking lot here and have a good time. Have a little roast. Tim, can we get on that? Is that possible? Um, but I think there's actually something more here because I think for some of us, maybe we're on the verge of breakthrough or maybe we're, we've we're just been contending for such a long time. My thing to you is don't give up praying yet. Don't finish yet. Keep going for it. And I think the other thing for us to understand, and this is something that m my church and I work constantly after, is this idea that the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And I don't know about you, but I remember going to services. I remember doing this thing where you almost walk on the parking lot or you step in the building and, you, and just something feels different. People are encountering Jesus. Lives are getting saved. All these types of things. And when Solomon finished praying, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. We have some real deep-hearted Pentecostals out in the back, apparently. Wow. <laughs> I love it. This is great. Um, good on you guys for having that. That's, that's actually really incredible. But I think for all of us, we long for the church to be a place where we can encounter God. Amen? I think we all long to be in a place and a part of a community where each and every single one of us encounter Jesus together. And so if that's the case, if, if that's where we want to get to, where we see signs, miracles, and wonders, and the church is filled with his presence, what do you and I have to do? What's the practicalities here as we wait for Jesus, right? And it says this, and my people who, first of all, bear my name, humble themselves, 
pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways. These are the four conditions for us as we pray to, to the Lord. Who bear my name, humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways. And then we see this beautiful promise here for all of us. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. I think that's what we all desire. Amen? I think we all long for him to hear from heaven. I think we all long for him to forgive our sin. And I think all of us would long for him to heal our land. Now, in chapter 6 of 2 Chronicles, chapter 7 is really the follow-up to Solomon's prayer in chapter 6. And what I want to do is actually kind of take these four things that the Lord highlights, that the author highlights here that Solomon did to see this benefit come through, where signs, miracles, and wonders are occurring and the glory of the Lord is taking place. And so the first thing we have is who bear my name. Now, really quickly, who bear my name. Now, my last name is awesome. I have, my last name is Pardee. Don't worry, I've heard every joke in the book, so it's all good. Um, but my last name dictates who I belong to. I am the product of Lenny and Myrna Party from Grand Falls, Windsor, Newfoundland. Your last name di dictates who you belong to. And the first thing that's required for all of us this morning is this understanding that we need to be a part of his family. We bear his name. So we see this as a number of examples here in chapter 6, 14. And feel free to do some homework after if you want to just take these down. And I'm going to kind of rip through this a little bit quickly this morning. The second thing we see um, is humble themselves. Understanding that, hey, we don't have this all conjured up in ourselves. We don't necessarily, you know, we may think we have the best in store. We may think we have all the, the tactics and whatever else. But in reality, we don't. And we see a couple of examples here uh, in chapter 6. Listen to your servant's prayer and, and his petition, Lord my God, so that you may hear the cry and the prayer of your servant praise before you, so that your eyes watch over this temple day and night toward the place where you said you would put your name, and so that you may hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place. Hear the petitions of your servant and your people Israel, which they pray toward this place. May you hear in your dwelling place in heaven, and may you hear and forgive. May you hear and forgive. Humble ourselves. That's kind of a massive thing that we see. We see another example of it in 2 Chronicles 6, 37. Um, we have sinned and done wrong, and we have been wicked. The next piece of all this is pray and seek my face. Now, here in the western parts of the world, it's often we've kind of got this whole prayer thing a bit twisted up and we often approach him with a bit of a checklist saying, Lord, I need this. I need this. I need this, this, this. Oh, and don't forget about this. This is really important. When in actuality, all we're required to do is pray and seek his face. How often do we spend time in the quiet place seeking the Lord and just simply his presence? Because I believe as we seek his presence, as we seek his character, everything else will fall into place. We just need Jesus. And to think that we need anything else is, frankly, diminishing what he's actually done for us. And so the question to all of us this morning, I asked a bunch of students this, this weekend, is if nothing changed in your life, is it enough? Is he enough? If you weren't healed, if you didn't get breakthrough, if you continue to have to deal with temptation, whatever else, is it enough because you have Jesus? That's a tough question to ask. 
I know for myself sometimes it's not. Is that being too honest this morning? But I really do feel that, man, the requirement is just to simply seek his face, just to long to be in his presence. It says this in 6.14. He said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth who keeps my gracious covenant with your servant, who walk before you and with all their heart. The next thing we see is turn from their evil ways. Second Chronicles 6.22, it says, If a man sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath, and he comes to take an oath before your altar in this temple. See it again? If your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, and they return to you and praise your name, and they pray and plead for mercy before you in this temple. We see a bit of a trend taking place here, and there's actually a couple more examples when it comes to that. But turn from their evil ways. And th- uh, Again, I'm taking a bit of license here, but I, I really feel that for some of us, <coughs> we think we're doing good when actually we're doing bad. Maybe we think it's a good idea because G- we theoretically think Jesus is attached to it or it's a good thing for his church or whatever else. But in actuality, if it's our idea, we are sinful people and therefore it is wicked and evil. The only way that is good is his way. And so for all of us, it's this important reminder not get caught up in just what we think is best and what we want to do. The important reminder is to come back to Jesus and seek his way because his way is the only way that is good. I think for, for lots of us this morning, when, if, if, we, if we could go back to that previous, that first text there. Here we go, here we go. When Solomon finished praying, fire descended from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. I think, I think for all of us, we long for this. But have... And I, and I firmly believe that Jesus is the type of, of character that wants to pour out upon, upon his children. And if he wants to do that, and we haven't been encountering it, where does the issue lie? It lies with me. And so have we been following the steps and procedures that he's outlined for us? Have we really been aligning ourselves with him? Have, do we bear his name? Are we full of pride or are we doing the best we can to humble ourselves? When we pray, are we, are we just checkboxing stuff or, or are we seeking his face and just longing for his presence? And have we realized that, hey, despite my best intentions, um, I haven't sought his way for things. I've only sought my own. To be honest, I- if we take this game plan, apply it to our lives and, and our prayer life, We're going to get through this time of silence. If we can learn anything from the story of Chronicles as it overviews the entire Old Testament, is that there's lots of trials, there's lots of errors, there's lots of sin, maybe similar to our lives as we try to navigate this thing. And there's a promise that Jesus is going to come at the end of the story. And we're so close to seeing Jesus. We're so close to breakthrough. We're so close to all these different types of things. So don't give up yet. Continue to pray. Continue to seek his face. Continue, continue, continue. As we wrap up this morning, I'd love to pray for you as we uh, pass things over to Pastor Matt.
Um, but let's pray and let's ask the Holy Spirit to be with us this morning. Lord, once again, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that it penetrates the deepest and darkest parts of our heart. Um, Lord, we know and we understand that, especially as we've looked through the Old Testament, Lord, like you have done such amazing things before. You have spoken, you have performed signs, miracles, and wonders. Your glory has imparted this earth, and you, you have given us the benefit of, of experiencing that. And Lord, maybe we find ourselves in this position where we almost feel like the people of Israel who are getting ready for this season where you're going to be a little bit quiet. Maybe we feel as if, you know, things that are occurring, we don't, we don't feel you, we don't, make, like, we don't see you anywhere. It's hard to hear you. But Lord, as we, as we learn from this text this morning, it's our responsibility to pray. It's our responsibility to not give up yet. But as we pray, Lord, it's so important that we bear your name. It's so important that we humble ourselves. It's so important that we seek your face and make that a priority. It's so important that we repent as well of our, of our doing. And so, Jesus, once again, we thank you for who you are. We give you all the praise and glory in your name. Everybody said.